0: Enjoy the message. Before we jump into the message, I just want to do a couple of things. Number one, I just want to thank you, Dayspring, for the shoe boxes. Uh, you're amazing. Um, I believe they were already turned in. Our goal was to do 150 boxes, and unfortunately, we didn't meet it, but we did go over 110, which is more than last year. Amen. So thank you to every single one of you that, that turned in a box. I know that that they could be a little bit of a cost, but it's worth doing it. Amen. Um, so thank you for making Christmas wonderful to some kid in a third world, world country. If you miss that opportunity and you're like, man, I wish I, I would have gotten involved. I wish I would have done something. Well, don't worry. Uh, Eva Soto is going to be after the service on this right side with the little table. There's another wonderful organization called Children's Hunger fund and uh there's wonderful ways for you to volunteer you don't have to give any money you can just volunteer your time you can go and pack boxes of of food and toys at their um facilities right here um what is that area you know where that cascade uh kind of that water uh, looks by the five freeway that area it's around there um so if you're if you want more information about that eva is going to be there you as a family can volunteer. As a life group, you can volunteer. And the last but not least, how many of you guys are excited about Christmas? Amen? Yeah. Yeah, All right. Well, get excited because it's going to be wonderful. Starting today, we are going to be putting flyers inside your bulletin we want to challenge you every week to pass those out to somebody put them in a windshield put them at the restaurant you go eat send the pictures to somebody we believe that this christmas our family members our friends and our strangers and our neighbors are gonna come to day spring do you believe that with me amen so it's gonna take all of us to do that all right well, if you have your bulletin, would you open it and pull out the outline that is in there? Last week, we started a series called Not Quite Fine," and uh, we're talking about mental health. And uh, we're talking about mental health because this is the hardest time on people who struggle with mental health, whether it's the holidays or the rainy season or the cold days but it's, it's just a time when most people who struggle with anxiety, with depression, with PTSD, or any of those illnesses really have to work hard to not cave into that darkness. And not only do we want to talk about it, but here's what I want you to know if you are struggling with that. I want you to know that you're not alone. I want you to know that you have a church that is not perfect, but that we love you and that we are praying for you, we are thinking of you. And as a pastor, I am wanting to go into God's word and say, how can I bring help? How can I bring hope? How can I bring relief? So we hope that you would know that. And I hope that that would make a difference in your life. And if you say, well, pastor, I'm not struggling with any mental health issues. Well, glory to God, glory to God. But I can guarantee you that there's someone around you that is. And that's why you still need to pay attention. And and also, we're talking about mental health because there's this kind of misconception. It's almost become a stigma where like as Christians, we can't struggle with mental health because after all, Jesus has healed us. Jesus has saved us. That is not true. I myself as a pastor have struggled with depression. This week, I'm gonna share with you, I really had to work hard to not cave into depression. You know, and and here's the thing. If you say, well, Christians can't struggle with depression. Well, let me give you this theological argument. When sin entered the world, it not only impacted our spiritual life, right? Because it cut off our relationship with God. Not only did it impact our physical life, right? Because now we get sick, now we die, and that was not God's original plan. But how is it that we can believe that sin can impact the spiritual life and the physical life, but not the mental life? So Satan definitely, and sin definitely affects our mental life because everything kind of begins up here. What we think is what we feel, and that is what pushes us to act. So that's why we're talking about mental health. If you weren't here last week, I want to invite you to go back, and we got a podcast, we got a Facebook, we got a YouTube channel where you can go watch that. But last week we spoke about three truths that the Bible tells us about grieving and grief. And number one, we said that it is natural. Number two, that God knows our grief and not just in an intellectual way, but in a relational way. But the most important thing that we learned last year is that grief is not forever. That because of Jesus Christ, there is a glorious future that awaits you and awaits me. How many of you can say amen? Amen. So After today, we're only talking about mental health for two Sundays because what we're going to do starting Tuesday, November 28th, on Tuesdays at 7 o'clock, we're going to have Melissa. She is a licensed therapist. She's going to be here. She's going to lead a support group. It's free. I don't know if you've ever gone to therapy, but it's not cheap. That's why many Hispanics don't do it, right? Right? We buy other expensive stuff, but we're not willing to take care of our mental health. It's going to be free. You can invite anybody. You can come. You can bring your suegra. You can bring, just don't bring your side chick, okay? Because you'll get in trouble. No, I should not have a side chick. I'm trying, I'm messing with you. Is that all right? I'm playing with you because I see you guys a little too serious. You can bring anybody except your side chick because you don't have one, Okay. You shouldn't have one. So that's going to be on Tuesdays, and it's going to be three Tuesdays. She's a licensed therapist. She was part of our church, and she's going to be coming back to do that. Today, I want to talk to you about holding on to hope, and I want to talk to you about how to handle, how to process grief. Last week, we talked about what the Bible says. Today, we're going to talk about how to handle that. And I want you to go with me to First Thessalonians four thirteen. This is the verse that we looked at last week and we're gonna look at it again today and it's gonna make a lot more sense today. And look at what it says. Paul writes and he says, and now dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to unbelievers who have died. And the reason Paul's talking about death as he talks about grief is because death is the biggest cause of grief, but it is not the only cause. We can grieve when we lose a friendship We can grieve when we lose dreams. We can grieve when we experience any kind of loss in our life, not just a physical death of a loved one. But that's what Paul is talking about. And he says, believers who have died. And look at what he says, so that you will not grieve like like people who have what? No hope. Let's pray and then we'll jump into today's message. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful morning. We know that you... Are with us, because you never leave us. You never forsake us. So Lord, we invite your manifested presence among us. While you're always with us, your manifested presence isn't always manifested. And as we've gathered to seek you, to worship you, to learn about you, we pray that you would move among us. Lord, there's hearts dealing with different things. There's hearts that are hanging by a thread. There's hearts that have given up. There's hearts that are beginning to struggle. There's hearts that are beginning to want to hope. There's hearts who have just gotten a breakthrough. And Lord, I know that regardless of where in the spectrum we are, you are the one God who holds every single victory as we've sang today. So speak to us, minister to us, but most importantly, change us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. If you uh, if you decide to walk with the Lord and to develop a relationship with God, it's only going to be a matter of time before you are disappointed by God. And I'd hate to tell you that, but that is the truth. It's only a matter of time before you get in a fight with God, before you argue with God, before you get to the point where you say, God, what are you doing? I don't understand this. I thought you were different. I thought that things would be different. And if you do, if you ever are disappointed with God, if you ever have to wrestle with God, if you are ever confused by God's ways, I want to tell you that you're not alone, that you're not the only one. And not only are you not alone, but you are in great company when it comes to men and women in the Bible. Because truth be told, we are all, we all wrestle with God at one point or another, and perhaps never more than when we experience pain, loss, and grief. God, why? God, how come? And what I want to do today is I want to look at Habakkuk. Because Habakkuk experienced some of the things that you and I experienced. And some of you are saying, who is this Habakkuk? Is he a Jedi? Is he like some kind of Disney character? No, Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets of the Old Testament. And he's got a really tiny, short book in the Bible, but he's got some wonderful stuff to say to us, especially about grief. And Habakkuk is the ideal person to look at today, because when you're wrestling with God, you got questions. And Habakkuk had questions too. In fact, he are two in particular. Why and how? Would you look at it with me? look at what Habakkuk asked in the first chapter verse two. And he says, "How long, O Lord, must I call for help? You've ever felt like that? How long, Lord? before this darkness looms in my life? How long, Lord, before I still feel this way? How long, oh Lord, must I call for help? And look at this, but you do not what? Can I stop right there? The Bible tells us that he listens and he's attentive and that he knows our needs before we even utter them. So how is it that Habakkuk can say, hey, I call for help, but you don't listen? Because isn't it true that although God always listens, sometimes it feels like He's not listening? How long must I call for help, but You don't listen? Violence is everywhere. I cry, but You do not come to what? To save me. Can you can you can you identify with Him? He asks, "How long? How long, Lord, before You do something?" And maybe for you is, how long, Lord, before I heal? How long before that door is open? How long before I don't have to hurt anymore? How long before I can get over it? And he doesn't only ask the question of how, but in verse three, he asked the question of why. Let's read it with me right there in your outline. Look at what it says. He says, why do you do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict. What? Abounds. Aren't those the questions we have? How? Why? Why now? Why this way? Why to me? Why didn't you stop it? Why didn't you heal them? Why didn't you prevent it? And see... Habakkuk asked these questions because of the way he felt. And we are led, he lets us into how he feels. In chapter three, verse 16, look at what it says with me. He says, I tremble inside when I hear this. My lips quiver with fear. My legs gave way beneath me and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly. Look at this. This is crazy. I mean, some of you can identify with this. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who what? Invade us. In short, I is saying, I, 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 it's over. I'm falling apart. I can't take this anymore. I can't, I don't understand it. I don't like it. And this hurts. And one of the things that I would want you to hear me this morning, godly men and women can still hurt and hurt deeply. Do you hear me? Because see, some of you, yes, we got victory in God, but we still have feelings. Some of you, you feel like you can't hurt because hurting almost means that you're denying your faith, that you're denying your trust in the Lord. And faith and hurt can coexist. And godly men and women in the Bible and in today's church also hurt and hurt deeply. Now, why is Habakkuk hurting? Well, here's what you need to know uh, about the context. God is going to bring judgment upon his people because they are idolatrous and rebellious. And for such a long time, he kept calling them and inviting them, come back to me. I am the only Lord, worship me, serve me. And his people were rebellious. So God had enough and he's going to bring judgment upon them. And not only is he going to bring judgment, but the crazy thing is that God is going to use the Babylonians to bring about that judgment. And here's the kicker. The Babylonians were worse people than the people of God. There were more religious, there were more idolatrous, there were more rebellious than the people of God. And Habakkuk is wrestling. He is struggling with this idea, with this way of God. He does not understand God's perspective. He does not understand God's ways. He does not understand God's mind. Wait a minute, Lord. Number one, you're gonna bring judgment, really? Can't you be a little bit more patient? Can't you just wait a little bit longer? And if and if you can't wait, why, why do you have to use the Babylonians? Why not better people than them? And Habakkuk asks, how and why. And you gotta know that God can handle your questions as ugly and as painful as they may be. God is not shocked by them. <gasps> I didn't know you felt that way. He knows and he welcomes it. And when you're grieving, you gotta know that God can handle your complaints. God can handle your lack of understanding his ways and his thoughts. Habakkuk raises them and God doesn't rebuke him for them. But how does Habakkuk deal with it? What does he do? Because it's one thing to know how you feel, especially when it's a negative but it's another thing to know, okay, what, what do I do with these feelings? I understand what I feel, and I understand that it may not be the healthiest thing. So, so how do I handle grief? How do I handle these questions? How do I handle this pain? How do I handle this loss? Well, Habakkuk's going to tell us how. But before we look at what he did, I want us to look at three other ways that secular psychology, that secularism, tells us to do to handle grief. And perhaps you've tried it. And I want to say very respectfully that while they may work for a way for a time, they are not the answer. So let's look at the first three and then we'll look at what Habakkuk uh, did. The first way you can deal with grief is resignation. Is resignation. Would you fill that out in your outlines? What is resignation, Pastor Nestor? Well, resignation is... Same while well, I accept what happened or is happening. And this is my new reality. Perhaps you've said it this way. It is what it is. It will be what it will be. No need to try to understand it. No need to try to process it. No need to try to make sense of it. Just accept it. And there is a sense of resignation. Now, there's a character in the Bible that illustrates this resignation. And in the first book of Samuel the Lord visits young Samuel perhaps you remember this story when Samuel as a babe uh, as a young uh, child was in the was in the was in the temple and he kept hearing that his name was called out and and he would go he would go to the high priest and say hey did you call me and Eli would say no no I'm not calling you it's the Lord so anyways it is that story it is in that story where the Lord talks to Samuel and he says hey I am going to bring judgment upon eli in his whole household because his two rebellious children have been defiling my temple and eli has done nothing so i am not gonna stand for it anymore i am going to bring death and i am going to bring judgment upon his household eli in the morning asked samuel hey so what did the lord tell you and don't hold nothing back tell me everything So young Samuel tells Eli what the Lord told him. You know what Samuel, what Eli did? Here's what he said, and you can read it in the chapter. He said, May it be the Lord's will, he knows best. What a cop out! What a cop out! Instead of saying, no, I'm their father. I need to do something. I need to be pregnant. He resignated and he said, it'll be what it'll be. It's ugly. It's horrible. But I mean, none of us, I, I, I don't know. I hope none of us would, would get the news that God is upset at our children and that he's gonna kill them and be like, all right, Lord, take them. I got, I got another one anyways. <laughs> right? None of us would do that. So the first way you can deal with grief It's resignation. Just say, it'll be what it'll be, and you just move on. The second way that you can deal with grief is detachment. It's to detach from your pain, to detach from your reality. What does this look like? Well, perhaps you say, don't think about it, don't feel it, don't deal with it. If you don't have to think about it, if you don't allow yourself to feel, you don't have to deal with it, and you detach And here's the thing about detachment, that most people don't do it consciously, but they do it unconsciously. You know how you can know if you are dealing with grief by detaching? When you try to replace your pain with some kind of entertainment or with some some kind of substance, or maybe by moving on to the next relationship or maybe by sleeping or staying in the dark, or maybe you're overeating, or maybe you're even more addicted to your phone. And we try to detach, and we try to replace that grief, that pain, that loss with something else. Now, you know, you know the danger with detachment? You know what the problem is? That detachment, when you detach, grief is really good at finding those gaps to get back into your life. And all it takes is maybe a picture popping up and the weight of the grief and the loss comes back into your life when you detach. All it takes is a song or maybe a commercial or a movie or some kind of memory, or maybe somebody says something and suddenly all the pain and, and, the, and the weight of the loss comes creeping back into your life like a wave. And detachment just doesn't do it. The third way that you can try to deal with grief, and I think this applies mainly to men, but it applies to ladies as well, is determination. It's determination. No pain, no gain, right? Hold your head up, put your chin up, shoulder straight, push forward. You got this. You are bigger than this. God gives his hardest battles to what? His strongest warriors. Don't ever tell me that, please. This, when grief comes, some people try to muster up determination and, and say, I'm better than this, I'm bigger than this, and I'm just gonna fight my way back up to the, to the top of the mountain, and I'm gonna do all he can. So listen, listen, listen. When everything t- takes a measure of determination, but your own will cannot be it because the problem with determination is that your strength and your will eventually what? Runs out. Hey, what happened to your New Year's resolutions? What happened to them? They died January 6th. The second, second, for some of you January, some of you, you don't even make them anymore. You're like, why am I going to waste time? I'm not going to do it. Right, because although we do need to learn to be determined and have like some kind of willpower, it's not enough. Especially when you're dealing with grief and the emotions and the feeling and the darkness and the misery is bigger than your strengths. So if these three ways are not the best way, then what other option do we have? Well, Habakkuk takes on the fourth option and that's how he deals with his grief. And the fourth and biblical way of dealing with grief is hope. Would you fill that out in your outlines? It's hope. How do you handle grief? How do you deal with grief? You hold on to hope. When you're grieving, when you're hurting, when you're confused with God and his ways, you hold on to hope. Look at the last verses of Habakkuk's book. It's found in chapter 3 verses 17, 18 and 19. And look at what he writes. This is so wonderful. He says even though the fig trees have have no blossoms and there are no grapes Vines, even though the olive crops fail and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. Do you see all the negativity? Do you see all the darkness? Do you see how things are not working out? But look at what he says in verse 18. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to thread upon the heights. Habakkuk. here's what you got to hear. Habakkuk is not denying his pain. Habakkuk is not denying his reality because he talks about it. And he says, even though the trees and the grapevines and the barns are not working and they're empty and there's sadness and there's misery, he's acknowledging it. He's embracing it. He's accepting. We do not deny our reality and our feelings. But he does. He does do something and he decides To hope he chooses hope and hear me out and i want to say this very respectfully and i thought about this a lot because i don't want to come off as insensitive but here's what you got to know it's a biblical truth no matter the grief no matter the pain as christians we always have the option to choose hope Because of Jesus, because of what he's done, because of his presence, because of the Holy Spirit, because of his word, we always have the option to hold on to hope. And and Habakkuk, it's hurting, and things aren't working out, right? He says, "Hey, the trees aren't blossoming, the grapevines aren't giving grapes, the the, the cattle are dead, the barn is empty." It's like he's saying, things are not working. They, they there's no life. There, things are not going as they should be. It's not ideal. There isn't much celebration. But even in those things, he says, "Yet I will." He chooses hope. Because in Christ, we always have the option to choose hope. Now, here's what you got to know. And here's the, here's where your faith, here's where believing in Jesus comes into play. Habakkuk chooses to do something that is opposite to his feelings. Do you understand that? He, he doesn't go based on his feelings. He chooses to do something opposite to his feelings. And he... He just told us, like, there isn't much reason to be joyful about, but I'm gonna choose to rejoice in the Lord. I'm gonna choose to hope in him. Now, hear me out, hear me out. Sometimes our feelings and our faith get along. They're really good buddies, right? Sometimes we feel faith-ish, right? It's easy to believe, yes, the Lord's got this, we got this, he's so good, right? But there's times when our faith and our feelings our enemies. They don't get along. They don't like each other. They're fighting each other. Let me tell you something. You don't ignore your feelings. But when your feelings become the motor for your life, you are headed towards destruction. Feelings can be the fuel to the motor, but the motor needs to be your faith and the word of God. What drives my life is what God has said and what I believe about God. And if my feelings can feel that great, and if not, that's still the direction that I am going. Now, here's the big question. Why praise? What does praise have to do with hope? How how, how does hoping lead to praise? Well, we're going to let David answer that. We're going to let King David answer that. And look at what he writes in Psalm 42, verses 3, 4, 5, and six. And then we're going to jump to verse 11. Look at what he says. He says, day and night, I have only tears for food. And when you're grieving, that's your reality. My heart is breaking, or perhaps you say it's broken. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Look at this. I will put my hope in who? In God. And look at this. I will praise him again. You see, David connects hope and praise just like Habakkuk did. He says, my savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. And he's talking about the Lord. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, the God of my salvation habakkuk and david chose hope and then led them to praise you know why a hope leads you to praise because hope changes your focus Hope changes what you're focused on. In fact, one of the things that I love about the Psalms is that David and all the other writers of the Psalms are so honest, are so transparent, and they let us into their hurt. They let us into their grief. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but David wrote Psalms where he's praying to the Lord, Lord, may you kill the children of my enemy and may their wives experience death. Isn't that crazy? I mean, God isn't endorsing this, but God, it's letting us know I can handle what you feel and what you think. And and the thing about Psalms is that in many occasions we see David's pain, we see David's darkness, we see his struggles, and we see that in many other men of God. And that's where they may start, but that is never where they finished. <laughs> David started with a broken heart. David started with the with the with, with with tears, but he ended by saying, "I'm going to praise the Lord" because he chose focus. He chose hope, and hope changes your focus from your problems into God. And when you can look at God, you can praise him because you know something better is coming ahead. Do you get that? Amen. Isn't that awesome? Look, look, look at what Psalm 1950 says look at what it says it says this is my comfort in my affliction that your promises what give me life when we choose hope and we look at his promises his promises give us life and we're able to worship him we're able to say Lord I don't like what I'm going through it hurts it sucks I am not too happy with you but I am trusting in you you can praise him amen Now, let let me tell you what hopelessness is. And you know this, but here's what hopelessness is. And I think they're gonna put it up here in the screen. Hopelessness is saying things can and won't get better. Right? And you know why hopelessness says that? Because hopelessness is focused on the loss, on the pain, on the darkness, on the misery, on the negativity. And because that's where your focus is, you feel hopeless, and therefore, what you think and feel is what you say. It's not gonna get better. I'm never gonna be the same. I'm never gonna smile again. I'm never gonna be happy again. But you know what hope says? Hope says things can and will change for better even if I'm in this ugly situation I don't understand right now. Because hope takes your eyes off of your grief and your loss and puts them on God. And you know why hope leads to praise? Because when we praise God, what we're saying is God is able, God knows, God understands, God is on the move for my behalf, and God will turn all things for my good. Church, hear me when I'm about what I'm about to tell you. Some of you come late to church because you don't give value to worship. And you say, well, that's because I'm not a singer. God didn't give me a voice. Let me tell you, many times in your life, you will need to praise. But if your bank is on empty, you're gonna start from scratch and it's gonna be a lot harder. So get in the habit Of constantly praising God so that when loss and pain and difficulty comes, you don't have to start from scratch, but you got a good foundation to say, I still don't like it, but I praise the Lord. Amen? Do you hear that? Now, Here's some other great news. When you hope on God, when you put your hope on God, when you choose to hold on to hope, not only does your focus change, but there's something that God does that brings into the equation that is really, really essential. Because when we are grieving, by nature, we are weak. We don't wanna eat. We don't wanna talk. We don't wanna go to work, not because we're lazy. We're just weak. We don't feel like praying because we're weak. We don't feel like talking to other people because we're weak. And when you're weak, what you need most Is strength, which is what God provides. Look at what Habakkuk says in verse 19. He says, The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure footed as a deer, able to thread upon the heights. Able to thread upon the heights. Now, listen. He's talking about being sure-footed as a deer. I wanted to look for a video. My kids and I, we love watching animal videos on YouTube. And uh, we we watched some of these goats and deers that are able to be like on high mountains in the smallest cliffs. They can, they can stand and jump about in, 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 in very confident ways. In fact, one of my favorite ones, it was this deer that was being chased by, by a white leopard or a white one of those cats, right? And the deer went into the cliff because the the cat was not able to follow him there. And what Habakkuk is saying here, he says, when I choose hope, not only am I able to praise him, but suddenly his strengths become my strengths and he makes me as sure-footed as a deer. Now, why would Habakkuk speak about a deer? Here's why. Because grief is like a mountain. Grief feels like a mountain, and that's why David also said, even though I walk through the valley, the bottom of the mountain, right? Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But Habakkuk is also talking about being as sure-footed as a deer because grief feels like a mountain. And see, here's the thing. When we're dealing with grief, what we want is for God to wipe out the mountain, let me tell you, sometimes he's too good that he does. He'll wipe the mountain out. But other times, he won't wipe out the mountain. But he'll work on our foothold so that we're able to climb that mountain. And he does that through his strength because hope not only gives you a reason to worship, but hope also brings the equation of God's strength into our life. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but whenever you go over a bridge... There's a danger under the bridge. In fact, I wanna show you a picture. I think there's a picture up here. The bridge connects two points with a danger in the middle or an obstacle in the middle. And when you're grieving, you're on one side. You obviously wanna get to the other side where you're feeling normal, where, 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 where you're feeling better, where you're able to function. And it is hope and strength That provide that bridge so that you can go from one side to the other side. God won't always wipe out the mountains, but He'll always strengthen your footwork so that you're able to climb over the mountains. In fact, that's kind of what Isaiah had in mind. Look at what Isaiah says in Isaiah 40:29, 30, and 31. This is a very familiar passage to many of us. Look at what he says. He says, "He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even though youth grow tired and weary, and the young men stumble and fall, but those who what? Who hope in the Lord will renew will renew their." strength when does the strength is renewed when we what when we hope and and look at what this hope does it says they will soar on wings like eagle they will run and not grow weary they will walk and not faint because that's what holding on to hope does now holding on to hope is a challenge but it is always possible Detachment won't do it. Determination won't do it. Nothing else will do it like hope will. When you say, I believe you, Lord, I trust you. I don't understand it, but my eyes are upon you. Suddenly your focus will shift from your loss to to who God is and praise and strength will enter the equation. So if you're grieving, I told you last week, take your time to grieve. Take your time, but don't stay in that dark place. You can grieve and hope because that's what First Thessalonians tells us. Paul says, we don't want you to grieve like people who have no hope. Grieve, but also hope. Mourn the loss, but also know that something's better is ahead. Your best days are not behind you, but ahead of you. So that's how you mourn, like people who have hope, because you look to God, and you give him praise, and he gives you strength, amen? Now, I'm done, but I want to say a couple of more things, so I'm really not done, okay? (laughs) If you're grieving, if you're grieving, because I... I didn't realize till I got into this that I should have made this like a whole month series. There's so much to talk about, right? But we wanna get into Christmas next week. We're gonna start our Christmas series next week, okay? Um, but if you're grieving, there's, a, there's two other things that I wanna to say to you. I wanna to say to all of us, because again, grief doesn't just come when we lose a loved one. When you go through a divorce, there's, there's, this, there's a sense of grief, When your parents kick you out or they move to another state, there's a sense of grief, right? When you don't get accepted into the college you wanted or when you're not able to have kids, there's a sense of grief. So it's not just the death of a loved one. But in any kind of grief, you need to hold on to hope. But here's the second thing you need. You need God's people. You need the people of God. Hear me out. This bunch of group of people here, we're really good looking, but we're not perfect. Okay? Or am I the only good looking one? No? So you're with me? Okay. I'm just checking. I'm just checking. But listen, we are, we are the way God designed the church. He designed it so that we could help each other. Amen? So I understand especially if you're an introvert, that you need to process things maybe by yourself a little bit longer. But it is never healthy for you to stay by yourself in your loss. This week, um, last Sunday after church, we, right after church, we loaded our car and we drove down to go see my dad, Lorena, the kids, and my sister Katie came with us. We had a blast out there. Um, it was it, it's always a quick trip that where we go we, we leave Sunday, come back Monday. Um, and every time we leave, it is so hard because when my dad knows that the time is getting that is approaching for us to come, he starts getting really sad and really down. And if you know my dad, he cannot hide his feelings in his face. I, he, you could always know what my dad's feeling by looking at his face, you know. Um, so I always try to, you know, be the strong one, right? Um, but this time, as I was driving back, this deep sense of sadness just kind of came over me. And it stayed with me for about two days. In fact, on Tuesday when I came to work, I text Lorena. I was already here at, at church, and I texted her and I said, Hey, I just want to tell you I'm not okay. And she's so wonderful, she said, Do you need something? Is there something that I could do? And I said, no, not right now. I just need you to know I'm not okay. She said, can I ask why? And I said, yeah, yeah, sure. It goes, regarding my dad. And she said, okay, I got it. And that helped me a lot. But not just that. On Wednesday, I found uh, I found out some information that was really shocking and heavy to me. And... Um, I didn't know what to do. It really came as a shock. And I know you're wondering, are you going to tell us? No, I'm not going to tell you, okay, what it is. Don't be a chismoso. And um, like I was already feeling down, you know? I was already feeling down. And then I find this out, and it just felt like somebody pulled the rug under my feet. And I didn't know what to do. And I wanted to call my good friend Manolo. But you know how he's always saying that, like, I don't run with him anymore? That's his story. That's his story. I call it He's not here, so so I'm going to take advantage of that. He, I call him, I invite him and he doesn't know you're too fast for me, you're going to leave me behind, you know? I, I'm still invite- But anyways, I was like, yeah, he probably is watching. I hope he is watching. He's not watching. <laughs> I think he's, How I many guys want to make a wager? He's not watching? He'll watch later, but he's not watching. I don't know if somebody Gonzalo, let us know if he's watching online, if he makes a comment or something. Um, But anyways, everybody's in, now you guys are gonna go check, us. My gosh, if you were only that good about sharing Jesus, geez, anyways, um, so I don't know why I couldn't call him. And I don't know who to call. But I knew I had to call somebody. I have a really good friend. His name is Eric Johnson. He's an African-American pastor, been a blessing to my life. And I called him and he heard me and I share with him. And he said something to me that stayed with me. And here's what he said. He said, I'm glad you called me because this is too much for you to carry by yourself. And I just want to tell that to some of you that are grieving grief is too much for you to carry by yourself you need other people we are commanded in fact look at what the bible says in romans 12:2 be happy with those who are happy and be sad with those who are sad and maybe you're saying well pastor what do we what what do we tell those people that are grieving don't tell them anything When people are grieving, they don't need your words. They need your presence. Show up with the coffee. Show up with the donut. Show up with something, but just show up. Text them. Listen, I just want you to know I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. And if you need me, I'm here. That's all you need to do. People that are grieving do not remember what you said. They remember what you did. Be present. Be present. And the second thing I just want to say, the second thing, number one, you need other people. And the, the second thing I want to say is that some grief requires professional help. And there is nothing wrong as Christians going to get professional help. I see therapists. I have spent time talking to professionals because listen, if you ever like find out that like your liver isn't working, I hope you call me to pray for you, but I hope you don't expect me to do the surgery. You get where I'm going? Right? Because just like when you're sick, you pray, but you still go to the doctor. When you are dealing with mental health, you pray, but you still go see a professional. Amen? So would you give the Lord a round of applause? Okay. Last thing. Last thing, and I'm done. I'm done, because I know we got the kids they are going to do something. Hebrews 6.19. We have this hope as a what? As an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Hope is our anchor. Hebrews 10:23 Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. You remember, you guys know this picture? Can we put the picture? You remember this picture? Some of us who come from Hispanic homes, almost every mom had this picture hanging in the living room. Right? It was the center decoration. And if I I, I just want to end with this, don't miss the moment. If you know the story, it says that a man sought two sets of footprints on the sand. But then he noticed that at certain times there was only one set of footprints. So he asked God, like, hey God, like where you've been during those hard moments. Do you remember what God told them? He said it. Those footprints in those had moments were not yours. They were mine because I was carrying you. And I just want to tell you. That in your grief, God is carrying you. You may not feel it. You may not know it. But you will look back and you'll see one set of footprints and it won't be yours. It will be his. Because he is faithful. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare Him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart, and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but He didn't stay dead.